Thank you for tuning in to the Foundations Ministry Podcast. We are a sexual addiction ministry located in Fort Worth, Texas. To learn more about us, you can go to our website at www.foundationstexas.com. Hello, and welcome to the Foundations Ministry Podcast. I'm Sam, here the leader of Foundations Ministry in Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm glad you're taking some time to listen. Today I want to I wanna talk about something I've talked about before, uh, but it's just so important. And it's about the vitality, the importance of developing healthy ability to communicate. You know, there are some things in recovery that are just useful. They're tools, if you will. Um, and we need to make a distinction between what is merely useful, a tool, and what is fundamental or essential to the the growth and progress in recovery. And the distinction matters because tools we can grab from wherever we like, throw in, utilize as necessary, and go forward. So tools can be things like how you give feedback, uh, in the sense of whether you ask a lot of questions or you try to help them see something, or uh, try to lead them down by, by, uh, by a different means. Whatever the case may be, uh, the tools vary. They change, they can shift, you can use them, you can not use them. Correctives are another example of this, where a man may be asked to uh, try corrective of bouncing his thoughts when he has a sexual temptation. Uh, And then more specifically, uh, I was told a long time by a man who said every time he has a sexual temptation, he visualizes it being put into an elevator and being sent up to God. And for him, that worked. The visualization in his mind, combined with the desire to not give in to the temptation, uh, produced an outcome that worked for him. But it was a tool. It didn't work for me. And that was okay, because it wasn't essential that what worked for him worked for me in this context. What did matter, what was essential, was that we both agreed we needed to deal with temptation. Now, the means to get there, there are certain fundamentals we agreed to, but other things we didn't. And I'm here to tell you that communication is a fundamental. There's just no getting around this. Uh, I talked last week about how to protect your group, and I talked about how feedback is the means to protect the group. But feedback is just a formalized version of healthy communication. And what is healthy communication but the ability for me to express my ideas and in a way where I desire for you to have the best opportunity to understand them and then you to express your ideas and me to strive to understand them as clearly as possible. You notice in clear effective communication it's not necessary that we both agree It's merely necessary that we both strive to communicate. Now, there's only one particular worldview that supports the value of communication at the level I'm ascribing. And it's worth mentioning. And this worldview or component of a worldview that must be present is that there must be an absolute that we are all striving for. If you remove the absolute, if there is no absolute truth, then then all communication becomes an attempt at best some form of control and at worst just sharing of experiences that produces a minor a level of connection. Because there's, there's no ability to have real truth understood, an absolute that we're both driving towards or comparing our worldviews to and our experiences to in order to divine and understand what is that 
that perfection, what is that truth that we're both interacting with, if that doesn't exist, if everything is relative to our personal experience, there is no transcendent reality that we are appealing to, striving to better understand, then communication loses all value and fundamentally conflict becomes about uh, only negative or power things. And, and there's a huge movement uh, politically that, that essentially views all truth as relative. And so all rhetoric is an attempt to control. It's all an attempt to control. And so me attempting to convince you of this concept is merely me attempting to control your worldview and impose my will upon you. Because there is no truth, so really what I'm doing is trying to push perspective. And you can see there are a lot of really dangerous pathways we can go down. But addicts, we're very accustomed to this way of thinking. Because as an addict, I think that I can define reality through my words, whether spoken out loud or the words I tell myself internally. And I'm very skilled at it, and I've not yet met or worked with an addict in these many years of doing this that hasn't thought in this fashion. Now, there's little variances between different men, but they think this way. And so fundamentally, they don't view communication as a pursuit of a common truth. They view communication as a means to either establish their image, which is actually control, or to establish control of another person, to force an idea upon them. And so learning to communicate really challenges this core lie within the addict. And that's the first thing that communication, open, honest, healthy communication produces, is it produces a protective layer from internal lies. Internal lies. Well, what's an internal lie? Well, the Bible calls that self-deceit. It's the things that, that inside of me get confused and wrapped up by my personal desires, by my pursuits, by my willingness to, to believe my own press. It's, it's really easy to ex- give this a uh, basic example. Just think of um, those of you who have tried to diet. You know, you, 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 you know, let's say calorie counting, one of the more popular methods. So you go out there, you start calorie counting, you're watching all the calories, and boy, as you cut back on how much you eat, suddenly you find yourself doing something rather interesting, which is food that I know has so many calories. Let's say I take a, a, a quarter cup of almonds is like 140 calories. And I go, well, a quarter cup is about, what, about about half a handful in my hands. I go, well, you know, I can add a little bit more and still say it's 140 calories. Even though logically, in my mind, I know, no, that's not 140 calories, because I know what that 140 calories is. It's, It's a quarter cup, and I've added more than a quarter cup, and I know that. But I don't want to admit it, because I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Right? And so I lie to myself. This, this internal lie I encourage in myself. For what? For what benefit? Because then I'm able to do what I want and I convince myself that the consequences are either going to be small, I'm going to minimize it, uh, or I'm going to convince myself that there are no consequences, I'm going to rationalize it, that really what I think is wrong isn't actually wrong, that kind of thing. Or I'm going to justify it. They say, well, this is a reasonable response to the stresses and difficulties that I'm facing. And if you were in my position, you would do the same. I'm going to play all these different games to, to help this internal lie grow strong. And we'd like to think that we're these exceptionally motivated people. Addicts especially like to think this. That I'm going to somehow or other 
by sheer force of will not have this happen to a level that causes harm. But exhibit A in my life is the number of years I've engaged in my sexual addiction despite its increasing and terrifying consequences. Especially to those things that I hold sacred. You know, it's one thing for my actions to cause damage to something that someone else holds sacred. You know, I break your house's window. That's bad. That's not a good thing. And certainly there are consequences to that. But it's a whole lot different than me breaking my house's windows. In the same context, there's a big difference between me insulting your wife. Right? I'm not going home to her. And me insulting my wife, and even greater, right, me beating your child versus me beating my child. And the distinction is, is one, I hold sacred to myself. Very clearly, it's, it's, I don't find many men who disagree with this internally. In other words, they haven't gone so far as to lose the connection that their family is sacred, even if it's only sacred because they view them as possessions, right? Most men want to convince others even in the midst of my tremendously terrible actions, that I am still a good and moral man who loves his family. And that's partly cultural. We're supposed to be that way. So, so it's an easy appeal when working with men. But that, that internal lie is given greatest evidence in the, in, in the examination of my history. Simply put, how do I justify continuing to do something that is so damaging if I'm not lying to myself? Because if I was being honest with myself, I would do whatever it took to change. But I'm not honest with myself, am I? I certainly wasn't for many years, and it took me coming to the brink of killing myself to get serious. It doesn't have to take that, by the way. I can take the moments of truth I have and walk with them. That's God's grace reaching out to me. But for many of us, it did take great destruction. And to our shame, it did. Uh so first thing it protects against is communication, is these internal lies. And it does that because the things I tell myself in my head hold very little strength when they're spoken out loud, first. Second, when they're spoken out loud to someone who is looking at them from an honest perspective. So I'm not just speaking them out loud to my dog, but speaking out loud to someone who can respond to it. And third, when they're spoken out loud to someone who will respond by seeking the truth with me. So in other words, I'm going to speak something. They aren't going to just take what I say and go, well, that's your truth. They're going to take what I say and go, well, let's examine if that's actually true because we both agree there is an actual truth and then we examine it. So the internal lies, it's very difficult to sustain internal lies in that type of dynamic, especially if I'm consistently doing it. Second thing it protects against is external lies. External lies. External lies are a bit easier to see, but uh, so let's think of just a couple scenarios here to kind of bounce around. External lies are, are essentially the intentional deceptions that come from outside. It's where you've got a group and you have someone infiltrate the group with no intention of actually changing, no intention of actually growing. They're just looking to convince their wives that they're doing something right. Uh, And they are then spreading various different false concepts within the group. Now, addicts aren't stupid enough most times to go forward and attack the strongest, wisest person in the group, the leader. Uh, Like in case of me, when I'm leading the groups, very few men will come straight to me and go, I'm going to try to convince you that this teaching here is wrong and this teaching here is wrong and really the Bible's okay with me doing this and doing that. No, what they're going to do is they're going to do it on the sidelines. They're going to find weaker men and they're going to gravitate towards them and try to convince them to join them. 
They're going to try to convince these men that I'll pat your back if you pat mine. I'll, I'll tell you, keep trying, keep going forward, you're doing good, and your wife really is too hard on you if you do the same for me. And that, that, that's a form of an external lie coming into the group, and it does have influence. The Bible warns against this. It says, says when we're striving to restore someone, right, Galatians chapter, oh, I want to say five, but it might be six. No, it's when we're striving to restore someone, we have to do so with the spirit of humility, lest we ourselves are also tempted. And the concept is simple. I need to be careful about where I am going as I minister to them. I am not a great person as I minister to others. I need to watch myself. Because as an old pastor that I heard used to say, you're either influencing them or they're influencing you. There is no middle ground. When it comes to regular, persistent relationships, it's one way or the other. Which is it? And so in these environments, the men who are engaging in an external deception are, are able to operate most effectively when there's not open communication. They will control who they share and what they share with. And they will rely upon the general stigma against anyone talking and interacting at an open and challenging level to question their assumptions, to verify and validate what they're actually saying, and to compare notes with other men in that environment, which is totally appropriate, by the way. Because addicts are deceivers, and and we we need to work on that. If I'm actually looking to change, I need an environment that's going to help me work on that, one that won't enable my behaviors. Uh, Because it's wrong to do that. And then then there's a second, more obvious type of external life, which is really, really bad concepts. There's a concept out there that uh, when it comes to dealing with chronic masturbation, one way to do it is to wean yourself off. Kind of like cigarettes, right? You go from smoking a pack a week to smoking once a week to smoking once a month to finally not smoking at all. Now, that might be how the process goes, but I have a very simple question when it comes to things like masturbation, right? If I, um, if I go down to masturbating once a month, is my wife okay with that? The answer is no. You see, with cigarettes, you might be able to argue, well, once a month smoking cigarettes doesn't have a really strong negative physical consequence, I don't know enough about cigarettes to argue with you one way or other. Let's say it doesn't. Well, then that's all it stops, right? Because the consequence of cigarettes are the physical things. Consequences of masturbating are not. It's a bad teaching. It's bad. It's an external lie. But, but even as I'm sharing this out there, if you disagree with me, how are you going to verify that? How are you going to talk through that? How am I going to explain all the different ins and outs of it and answer your real concerns without communication? And what's more, if I gave you the opposite side of it, and I say, well, I think masturbation is totally okay as long as I'm fantasizing about my wife, my wife which is, strangely enough, a somewhat common idea among many Christians. Total baloney. And I'll give you an easy example of it. Ask your wife to pose nude for you while you masturbate. You see how she takes that. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a very intimate experience. Madness. Absolute madness. It doesn't line up in any way. Masturbation is sex with self. It's simply wrong. It's not sex with someone else. It's not sex with my fantasy. It's sex with self. I'm only supposed to be engaging in that kind of connection with my wife. Every time I have an orgasm, I'm building emotional, mental connections. And if I'm doing it to fantasies, that's what I'm building connections to, which means I'm building them to a self-centered, false reality. There's no way to get make that healthy. No way whatsoever. So protect against external lies because we're able to expose them. They're brought out into the light of day and we're able to actually look at these things and deal with them healthily. And that's what we're striving to do. Communication brings that out. 
You know, another thing it does is, uh, and I touched on this briefly, it protects against resource leaks. You know what I mean? The, the guy who comes in who has no intent of actually changing. Now, he may not be introducing bad ideas or false teaching, but he's only interested in checking the box so he can tell his wife, I'm doing recovery, what else do you want me to do? That's, called, that's what I would call a resource leak. And it's a resource leak because he takes time and energy from the group. Because he's trying to check the boxes. He has to in order to convince the people or himself that he's doing something. He makes occasional phone calls. He attends the meeting. He'll, he'll share his ideas, etc., etc. He kind of burns the energy of the group. He wants the benefits of membership without the cost. Many times, long term, these men want to be given more and more leadership role, but without actually doing any of the work necessary to develop the strength and foundation to do it. And that's really interesting, isn't it? That men get to this level, but this is super common. And it's a resource leak. So how does communication protect against this? Well, if a man shares regularly in a group and we're allowed to give open communication, in other words, if there's an expectation that I share and then an expectation that when I share, it will be examined, then my lack of action over time becomes examinable and it becomes challengeable. Which means that this man is always being put in the position of needing to look at what the next steps are. And what's really cool is when the group develops enough maturity to do this in and of themselves, it naturally produces an environment where not just one person has to do it. It creates a strength inside of them. And it protects because no longer are these resource leaks, they're no longer in a haven. It's not a safe harbor for them to hang out anymore. Recovery should be places where people are expected to grow. When it becomes a safe harbor for a man who is refusing to grow, you have entered into the realm of codependency and you are enabling them. That is a serious wrong. Now, it's not always super clear, to be fair. You could be challenging someone left and right and they're just... They just keep coming back and they seem to be making some progress. And that, that's a tough place to be, honestly. That's a really tough place to be. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about this being easy, but I'm talking about there is an obvious line where if I refuse to challenge anyone in any way and I just go, well, you know, they got to make their own choice, I am enabling them. Them, I'm giving them an environment where they can feel like they're doing something without ever challenging them and pointing out that they're not. I think it's pretty much what Paul was challenging in 1 Corinthians when he was talking about the man who was having sex with his mother. Uh, I think it was his mother-in-law. And he challenged them, why have you not expelled this person from your midst? He's obviously unrepentant. He is obviously engaging in vile, sinful things. And you refuse to challenge it. Why do you refuse to challenge it? The same standard should apply to us in recovery groups, especially sex addicts. We don't expect these men to be perfect to get out of the gate. But if it demonstrates over time that a man's unwilling to change, we need to, we need to bring out the big guns. We need to challenge that. We have a responsibility to his wife, for goodness sake, which I've heard men... Oh my, I heard a man once have the audacity to say that he doesn't have a responsibility to the wife. And I just, oh man, that drove me nuts. I nearly stood up in my seat. (laughs) It was tough. (laughs) Because how insane is that? Of course we have a responsibility to the wife. He's certainly portraying it like he's doing something to his wife by doing this group. If we allow him to pretend that without actually taking that responsibility seriously, that's the equivalent of what Cain said of Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? No, I'm not my brother's keeper. And God God called him out on that. What have you done? 
the audacity to wash my hands as Pilate did, as if he had no responsibility for Jesus' death. And we like that. Anyways, oh, I could go on about that. That was quite a frustrating situation. So communication protects us from internal lies, from external lies, and from resource leaks. And so much more, because it's fundamental. It's fundamental. It doesn't protect us from this because it's a useful and very, very good tool. Communication is how we operate in life. It is literally the foundation upon which we interact with each other. Just, just think for a moment. Do you think with words? The answer is yes. You think with words. You think with language. You think with communication. Literally, when I'm talking to myself, I'm taking the words I normally say in my head and I'm putting them, saying them out loud. We were made to interact with reality through communication with each other. It protects us. It keeps us strong. It develops unity. It promotes growth. It makes us stable and, and consistent long term. Communication is not, not inconsequential. It is fundamental. It is foundational to what we must be striving to develop. And it is hard to do so. We must fight for it. We must protect it. We must learn to watch for the pitfalls, whether it goes towards pride or control, whether it goes towards not challenging people or challenging too much. We we must always be striving to do that. But we find that strength in our common pursuit of truth and love found in Christ Jesus. He unifies us in this. He is the great unifier in it. And in that, we find the unity that we need and the strength that we need and the stability that we need to actually be stable, healthy people. So we need to be striving for this. This is essential, essential to our health. Every addict must learn how to communicate honestly. He must learn how to pursue truth. And ideally, That is happening with people who will help him learn to avoid the pitfalls that we have so often fallen into. And that's what environments, that's what we're striving to do here at Foundations. I know of of several groups in other areas that are striving to do that. And I invite you, get involved. If you're a leader, get it started. If you're a member, strive to build communication. Even if your group won't allow it because it's Celebrate Recovery, which I've got nothing against, but they don't allow feedback. If they won't allow it in the group, do it outside of the group. You don't have to be an insurrectionist. Most guys want to talk. It's hard. Find the ones who are looking to grow and work with them. Work with them. You know, uh, remember that, that before recovery came, Christ was still saving people from addictions. Recovery is not like the answer to addiction. It's not. Always bear that in mind. It's not. Instead, recovery isn't the answer. It's merely an answer to what is currently a clear lacking in the church, which is the church no longer allows people to be open and honest about where they're really at. Not at a social level. The unspoken rule is don't do that. I once went to a church and I asked them, you know, hey, uh, I've been doing recovery for 10 years at the time and... uh, I would, we'd really be interested in getting involved in whatever you guys are doing. And they said, oh, no, no, we don't do that. No, 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 we, 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 uh, we recommend people out to counselors if they have those type of issues. And I thought, holy cow. This guy couldn't wait to end the conversation. He got awkward real quick. That was so wacky. 
It was wacky to me. I mean, I'd been doing recovery all this time, and I guess I just hadn't hit that response yet. It was fascinating. I can understand it. I get it. I get it. It's, it's easier to focus on, on the things that are easier to control, the image, all that. It just doesn't work. And so recovery groups, we must be striving to build out these foundational elements, to embrace these foundational elements that are really taught so clearly within the scripture, and then pursuing them with a diligence. And that's my heart's desire for sure. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me. Uh, I hope you get something out of it. You know, as, as I share often with the men I talk to, that uh, uh, if it fits, if it's of God, take it. If it's not of God, don't worry about it. Heck, I'm just a man. And so my greatest concern in talking a lot is is that proverb that in many words there is foolishness. Uh, and so that, that caution always comes up for me because boy, am I a talker. Um, anyways... I hope you have a great day and I will talk with you later.